Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We're on. There we are. It's on. We're publishing stuff. We are publishing. Well, I guess it's are we, easy. Are we, are we publishers? We could, you know. It's, uh, we media you can wait. Publishers. We, you, you can wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to publish it myself. It's a different time. It's a different time. I feel we've uh, captured stories in in thousand chapters and if we took them all <laughs> and put them in written word we'd, we'd have a gigantic book <laughs> you know think about the opportunities now that artificial intelligence if there is one thing that does well i mean there's few that does well but writing uh converting audio to text i would have to say it become quite good so it would be an idea to just say, hey, you know what? If you want the printed version of this podcast, here it is. We're just going to publish it for you. I don't know how many we're going to sell of those, but uh, that's a possibility. And uh, and I'm glad that you joined me, Sean, on this Redefining Society episode, because uh, first of all, our guest, it's uh, already been on the show. Uh, his name is Mark Hershberg, and I hope I did say correctly i practiced a few times before this and um and we're going to talk about the future of media which of course include books and publication and maybe we'll touch on the metaverse too who knows it's all connected uh so sean i, I i'm gonna go ahead and uh and have mark say hello and introduce himself and then we we just dive dive in it's gonna be a long conversation i'm, I'm exa excited to be on again here as as a guest on your show marco and uh, it's fantastic to see you again, Mark. Um, so welcome. Thank you guys for having me. It is great to be back here with the two of you. So I mentioned that, yeah, you're back. But the first time we talk about a book that you recently published at the time that is probably connected, but on a kind of a lateral connection with, with what we're talking about today. But uh We'll have notes for the first conversation at the end of the show. And, and uh, when people want to check it out, they can go in and listen to your other conversation here. But here we are for another type of conversation. We are inspired, I think, from what happened as you were publishing your book and, and moving forward to that. So let's start with you, and then we, 
we'll talk about the things that inspire this conversation. A little bit about Mark. You're right that this is lateral. My background, as we may have covered last time, I came out of MIT in the 90s. My graduate work was in cybersecurity, and I went off and have a career doing tech startups. I've been at a number of tech startups. I've done some media and ad tech in the past. I prefer doing cybersecurity, which is what I'm doing these days. So I'm a CTO at a cybersecurity company. Got lots of patents in the space. But I've also, in parallel, been teaching at MIT for over 20 years. And I've been teaching not technical skills. I actually teach technical stuff at other schools. But at MIT, I've taught professional development, leadership, communication, team building, networking, as in personal connections, not the wires that we work with. And I took those skills that we've been teaching for years, I put them into the book and got the book out there. But as I did that, I recognized there is a problem with media. And I've worked in media, I've worked in tech, I've worked in education. There is an inherent problem with a lot of media. If you think about a book, where you read information isn't where you need information. If you take my book, I've got a chapter on networking tips. Okay, great. You know, all these good things about how to meet people. Where do you read it? Sitting on your couch. You probably don't need to network with your dog. You've got a good relationship already. You've known each other for years. It's two months later when you're out at a conference. So what are those networking tips? And you probably don't carry my book with you or other networking books. In theory, the information's online and you can probably look it up, but it's a pain. It takes tens of seconds or minutes to find it, and that's not efficient. And so we have a problem that traditional media channels, this is one of a few problems they have, and we have to do something about that. We have to create media that provides the information you need when and where you need it. I love that you said there are a few problems because you started with one problem of media, and I'm thinking like, oh, no, there is way more than than one, but we're at least, we're, at least two. <laughs> at least two, exactly. Um, no, I, I like what you're saying, and and, and again, I, I think it, it's about. I'm gonna make a little, a little connection here with one of the reasons why we start talking, like choosing your own adventure. Meaning, what kind of problem with the media do we want to choose, and and that's gonna drive us to the path of this conversation. So, it's not gonna be probably misinformation or anything of that, but. I like the idea of the way that we consume media, right? So on one side, you said it's a different way that, 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 that we need to use to present the media to the audience. But I will be curious if this is, you know, what comes first, the eggs or the, or the, or the chicken? Um, is the audience change, is society change, or is being technology that has been driven this change that that takes? both sides, the publishers and, and the consumers. It's one of these systems where a change to one part impacts the other. So let's consider social media, something that it's relatively young. Now, I remember back to six degrees back in the 90s, but even then those early social networks online, they weren't used the way they are today. So social media in its modern form, really from about Facebook onward, goes back 15 years, maybe a little longer. And it's changed how we engage with each other, how we share information. And it has certain advantages. It also has disadvantages. 
So some of the advantages, it's quick, it's easy, it democratizes access. Anyone can get on the platform and get their message out to everyone. Where it, in its current form, is not good, aside from the hate speech and misinformation, which we're going to leave out, some of the challenges are that it encourages us to be instantly responsive. Oh, someone tweeted something. Well, I have to respond right away to that because five hours from now is slow. So I have to respond right away before I've had time to think about it, to engage, to react. It is visual. We know that in most social media, pictures are encouraged and pictures help people focus, increases dwell time, and the algorithms are set up to keep you on. So this is great if you're a model, if you're a cake artist, this is a great medium for you. If you are a thought leader, if you have ideas from a professor to a cybersecurity expert, you're not necessarily very visual and this medium doesn't work well. Even worse, this medium is temporal. It is organized in a temporal manner. And again, that's great for news. That's great for breaking news. What's happening in the World Cup today as we're recording this? I want to know this by the minute. I don't care about what was happening in the World Cup four years ago by the minute. But if you are a thought leader, here's a problem you have. You put out some content. I say thought leader. It could be a brand. It could be any type of content that is evergreen. You put out an idea. So I might put something out on leadership today. Okay, I'm going to post that right now. Well, a certain amount of my audience won't see it just because they're not on social media right now or in the next number of hours. The ones who are might see it and say, yeah, not relevant because I'm not worried about being a leader. I'm worried about hiring or getting customers or my brand or something else. So they ignore it. Six months from now, they're going to have a leadership challenge, but they're not going to say, oh, let me look back. What did Mark post six months ago? Or what did he send in emails over the past six months? Let me dig through it to find it. It's organized in this push mechanism that I am pushing out my ideas when seems to be the best time for me, or I try to think of my audience, but there's a lot of them. Instead, we want to change to a pull mechanism, to a way where the content consumer can say, I need this information. It is relevant to the time and place I am at. I need a leadership tip right now. I need a branding tip right now. I need this information that's relevant to me. And much of our media has been created more for that push, that broadcast model. So that's an inherent problem with most media for this type of need. And it's interesting, Mark, because we, over the past, I don't know, a couple of weeks maybe, have, uh, I don't know if we want to say move, but it add, we have added a, a media platform that we're engaging in, uh, Mastodon, which is less of a algorithmically driven, uh, we think you should see this, um, we're going to mix 10 things in with one, one person you follow, so 10 posts are going to be things we think you want to see, and one is going to be rel related to one that you actually followed. Versus on Mastodon, you, you can actually say, these are the topics I want to explore uh, and create lists and groups and follow people or not follow people, follow hashtags or not follow hashtags and, and effectively do what you're describing. It may not be perfect, but you can, you can kind of say, 
this topic, these people, give me a view of what's going on right now, perhaps even look back in time to see what happened before. I know Mark's amazing. He hasn't posted on this in the last few days, but he has last month. Let me look at that in connection with other people who are talking about this topic as well. And I, I think you're, you're spot on, and it's it's a bit of a fresh bit of fresh air on that platform in that sense because you can you can go out and seek what you're trying to find, and to your other point, um, perhaps what you contribute back to the community is also easier found and and not missed. So it it really comes together nicely. Now that's a social media platform. I don't know how that. Uh, translates to books and uh, news outlets and uh, I don't know, pick your other favorite medium videos or whatever it might be. But um, at least in that one instance, I can totally see where you're going with push versus pull here. If you think about other forms of media, if you pick up a book, most books, 99% of them are designed to be read front to back. You can't just jump on to page 232. There's a handful of exceptions, typically reference books, the dictionary or encyclopedias. You can jump in and kind of grab the element you want. The linear ordering is just an artifact of the physical nature of books. If you think about other forms of media, television, movies, this broadcast... If someone just randomly jumped into a certain moment, they may not have the right context for it. Now, it may be there are five-minute chunks of this show that each kind of stand unto itself, and you can jump into the star of any of those. Probably this won't quite work out that way, but you can imagine things that do that. If you think about a news segment, for example, where I typically have three-minute clips, and you do a story on this, a story on that, the ordering of them really is somewhat arbitrary. You could get them in any order. But historically, when you look at most media, they are consumed in a linear faction, front to start, first page to last, and they're not designed for that diving in indexing. But that's not an efficient way to get information. So we need to create, we as content creators, we need to create content and have tools that will let consumers grab the pieces as they need it so they can get relevant, contextually relevant, efficient access to information. Well, that, of course, reminds me when I was a, a kid and one of the first video games, and actually on paper, it was the Choose Your Adventures book, right? I was, I'm actually, I just finished to read a, an interesting book from uh, actually somebody that teaches at MIT. Uh, I can't remember the name, but it's about the, the the simulation hypothesis in the video games environment, and it's very interesting. And you start from, you know, the model of the creation of the environment you are, which the the original one, and then you move into multiplayer universe, and eventually the metaverse. Uh, you're actually doing referring to the first uh, script. You are in a room. Where do you want to go? Uh, north, south, or jump from one page to another if you choose this action for your character. So what I'm saying here, and I want to get to that, is that there is probably an intrinsic 
a natural tendency for us to play with our own story. But we're so into having to follow just one path, which is the way that the writer decided. And it makes sense. It's telling you a story. You can't get to the end of the book. It would be kind of cheating, right? So how do you see this happen? Uh, in, uh, in certain media, I can see it. If it's, again, it maybe a video game or, a, or an interactive or a, a search engine where I really want that relevant information. But there are certain stories that I don't know if you can do that. You're right that there are constraints, but let's first th think of some possibilities, some ways you can yeah. do it. Obviously, there are those classic choose-your-own-adventure books. My brother-in-law is a big fan of them. And there are video games, which is a natural extension, particularly of fiction books. If you think about fiction books, we took our favorite fiction, particularly science fiction fantasy, and we would start to engage with it We'd create action figures and we'd have our own little games in our rooms. You know, what does Luke Skywalker do as he's jumping from my bed to my dresser? Because I'd make up a little game. And that's how we could take that linear story that we saw in the movie and expand upon it. And now that we can do electronically with video games, we can build a, in some ways, richer experience. Depends on how you prefer imagination, pure imagination over visualization of games. But we can see similar patterns in other places. Let's take learning. Now, traditionally, learning was done by books. And I'm talking 1,000, 2,000 years ago. You had the books, or you might have a person talking. And because it's broadcast, I am broadcasting everywhere. You're all in the same room with me hearing me talk. Or you all have the same book, either because it was handwritten, and that's how it is, or the printing press you can't create different variations of a book easily. So we all got the same copy. This is how universities have worked. Welcome to university and you have to take these classes in this order. But we can look at a university like Western Governors University where they say, listen, you need for your degree, not X number of hours. Most universities say you need X hours of courses to get this degree. Western Governors says, no, you need to have this knowledge. And if you come in with zero knowledge, you have to take 20 classes. If you come in with three cores of the knowledge and you can demonstrate to us you have it, we're only going to require five classes, then we'll give you a degree. So depending on what you show up with, you just have to fill in the blanks that are unique to you. And that's a subtle but significant innovation in our education system. You're effectively customizing your own path through, same goal, same final chapter end, but your path to get there is very unique to you. And it's not just, well, you took this elective, I took that one. It's what you even need to do. So that's can, I, one... can I pause you, Mark? Because yes, this is interesting. We've, we've had conversations recently about uh, education and kind of transforming that whole space. And the thing that comes to mind here as you're describing this is person's ability to understand something. Some might be more prone to mathematical equations. Some might be more prone to languages. Some might be uh, more artistic in their views and, and the way they think. And some might need to see something and read something. Some might need to take notes about something. I guess my point is different people can learn 
or maybe even just draw upon a different experience that's parallel to the thing that they're trying to learn and come to the outcome or come to the conclusion that says, I know this, I understand this without ever having taken any courses, right? So just some life experience or just the way their brain works, they can experience and learn something and arrive at a point that maybe might take somebody else two or three months and a set of books and other, other tools to, to get to that same point. So how, how does that, assuming I'm correct in that assessment, how does that play into how we engage with media? Um, so we, do we have to sit through all this stuff if we know, well, that's, that's common sense for me because that's how my brain works. I get that. Don't make, don't make me sit through that stuff because I already know. That's exactly it. Now, let's look at in different types of media. A simple example is a book where you say, well, chapters one to three are on this. It's the introduction. If you know this, you can skip it. And we see some of that, probably not as much as we should. We see other cases. I was on the advisory board of the Museum of Mathematics. Now, one thing I always hated when I'd go to a science museum as a kid is there'd be a plaque describing the display and as a guy who wound up going to MIT, I was pretty advanced in science, even as a kid. I'd like to say, yeah, I know this. Oh, the sun's 93 million miles away. I knew that. This isn't telling me anything I didn't know. This isn't helpful. But they had to hit that general populace. They were broadcasting the information for everyone. At the Museum of Math, we had interactive displays. Instead of a fixed, here's a printed plaque, we had an electronic display. And you could go up to the display, and we had descriptions of each of the exhibits written at three levels. It was supposed to be you had a badge that knew your level, and it would dynamically display. That part didn't work. So you had to manually just say, give me the first level, second level, third level description. They were written for fourth graders, for eighth graders. And the advanced version, we were citing research papers and graduate level work. But you could decide your level of knowledge and you could say, I want to access the information here targeted to me. Obviously, it wasn't fully personalized, but we were already splitting it up. You could imagine a show. We already have subtitles if you don't happen to speak that language. But what if I could say, I know these languages and this one scene is an English show. This scene is in French. I happen to speak French. So... You don't have to do the dubbing for that. You can keep that part in French. And now you're customizing not just, I want the French or English version for the whole show, but for this one section. Or going even further, if we think back to, I think it's Charles Dickens, I believe his writing was known for lots of words, right? He's getting paid by the word, so he would have these long descriptions. I say, you know what? I want to read A Tale of Two Cities. I don't need all those adjectives. I don't need all the details and sidetracks. I want to get to the core story. And so it's effectively like a Cliff Notes, but maybe it's a little bigger and kind of pulls me through. And different people can pick how much or how little or changing the words to their level of competency. And this is obviously, we're talking about lots of different changes. This is very complex, but we're going to see more steps in these directions where you can customize a particular type of content to various levels to make it more accessible, more palatable, and more relevant to them. 
And and here comes technology. Here comes technology. You know, knocking at the door, using the the axe and breaking in. We couldn't even think to do this before. I mean, I'm sure some philosopher, some ed- education person, some thinker have known this problem. Like, you know, how do I educate different kids with different capabilities, with different knowledge and so forth? And finally, now, eventually we can. Maybe we'll be in a class with an artificial intelligence where each one gets a different version of the lesson of today according to their needs. So beautiful. But I'm going to use this example and and ask you the question that kind of started, uh, inspired me to have this conversation, like, is a book still a book then? Is a museum still a museum? You, you bring the the, the Zeus uh, ship example, uh, you know, if you change it completely and you renew it, is it still the same boat, the same ship? So let's get philosophical and tell me, are we still calling book the right thing? <laughs> this is a good question. It has lots of implication for our industry. And by industry, I mean a whole bunch of them. So the original question you referenced, the ship of Theseus. And in the version expressed, I believe, originally by Plato, Theseus's ship came into the dock and they were fixing it. There was a board, it was broken, they had to replace the board. And Plato asked the question, you replace this one board of the ship and then you replace another board later and another and another. And if after a certain period of time you have replaced every single board, every single piece of wood in that ship, is it still the same ship? Now we can argue... Yes, it is. It's still his ship. There are some repairs, but conceptually it's the same. You could argue, no, it's not because every atom is different. And it's obviously an open philosophical question. You could have variants. What if I take all those boards, pull them apart, construct a different looking boat, but it's the same material and it still belongs to him and still sails. Is that the same? But let's think about publishing and we'll start with just books. A book, well, what actually defines a book? It's one of those, well, I know it when I see it. It's those pages bound in a cover. And most of us can recognize, yes, this is a book or this is not. So let's not harp on that definition. I think we'd most all agree that looks like a book. Here's a book. Imagine we've got a book. Now, many people will say an ebook. It's a book. It's not bound. It doesn't have paper, but we'd call it a book. Audiobook, they'd even say, yeah, that's that's kind of a book. It's the same thing. It's just a different representation. Okay, we'll say all those are books. We know that there are workbooks where you write or you fill out certain things in the book. That's still a book. We know that there are choose-your-own-adventure books, which we talked about earlier. Those are certainly books. Well, now imagine if you have a book that's a workbook, And depending on what you fill out in some of those forms, it's combined with the choose your own adventure. So as you answer certain things, you have a different path through the book. And what if we just do this as an ebook, as an electronic book instead of physical? Because each one of those, we said, yeah, that's still a book. So now I've got this electronic page where I fill out some information 
and it sends me to a different part of the book based on those answers. We've just described my tax software. That's exactly what it does. I fill out the form, it says, oh, you don't have dependents, skip this part, or you start a new business, fill out this next part. That's tax software, and that's software in general. So in fact... It's creating your tax storybook. Yeah, and <laughs> software... That's fun. That's not a book I want to read. And you can really think about if an audiobook is, in fact, the same as a book. You mentioned earlier, there are people who will take transcripts of their podcasts, put it together and say, oh, that's my book. Or we can just do the audio parts of it, and now we have an audio book. What's the difference between a book, a blog, a podcast, a talk? They're really the same ideas expressed in different mediums. And we in the media industry need to stop thinking of publishers, book publishers, as distinct from podcast publishers, as distinct from others, and really recognize its media, its content, distributed in different ways, including software. You know, can, can I make a, a quick thing? Because when I think publisher and I substitute that with printer, print shop, that's probably more what people think. The thing is a publisher because it's printing a book. Then now we use, Sean and I, of course, you, in this industry you use, we just publish our new episode. Well, we, we didn't like print anything. We just make it available to the public, which I think it's at the core of the, of the etymology of the word publishing, right? Um, but you also make me think about like I listen audiobook all the time. I love radio. I can follow and I can consume way more. Doesn't mean I don't love the physical book, but I can go through many as I walk my dogs, as I cook dinner and so forth. And I and I love it. I love this narration. But as you were saying that, I'm thinking about the the ship of Theseus. And I'm like, well, it's not the author that's read it, except for some exception. It's definitely not on paper, it's not printed, it's not the same boat, it's the same ship, but in the soul of it, it is, because it is what the writer put there. Now, if you tell me a movie, an adaptation, then I may argue it's not the same boat. So what, what, what's your take on that? I think you're absolutely right in that we don't want to think of people as writers or speakers or podcasters. I use the term content creator because I can take this same concept I've talked about with other people and I've written about on a blog and I can also put a whole bunch of it into a book. And so what am I? Am I an author? Am I a podcast guest? Am I a speaker? Does it matter what stage or medium I'm on today? Does that make me less of the other? At the end of the day, we are people who create content and we just select different mediums through which to express it. And the distinction is somewhat arbitrary, but it also means those of us in this field need to recognize you should not be confined. And so when you think about the industries, there are book publishers, people like Random House. And what do they do? They say, if you are someone with an idea and you can write down that idea and it takes up enough words, 
we can package it up and distribute it. And that's what we help you do. We package the book, we get into the stores, maybe we'll do a little PR for you, but that's all they focus on. But you probably don't say, well, that's it. I am just a writer and I'm not going on podcasts. I'm not doing talks. I'm not doing this other content. I'm just a writer. No one says that anymore. So if you are in this space, if you are producing media, if you are a publisher in any sense of the word, you need to think not just about the medium in which you have traditionally worked, but recognize that you need to go across mediums in how you support it. And we do see like Random House does do audiobooks, but they need to think even broader into the media of the future. And the future, Let, let's, let's go there a bit, Mark, because the, as you were talking, uh, I was thinking a little bit about software publishers and, and the whole world of creating software where, uh, we have open source and people contribute multiple parts to the software and we're bundling in components to build these bigger systems and they run on a platform and there's infrastructure and networking and all of that has to exist in order for the software to run and be used. And as a publisher of software, you're kind of going back to your tax point as well. You're, you're leading somebody to a resolution or a conclusion or to take some action. And, and when we talk about content, I think the same is true and for most cases. So where, where's the future of publishing? Because I know we've, we've interviewed a, a group of, uh, of folks that together, I think there's, I, don't, I forget how many chapters, 15 chapters of a book, 15 people wrote the different chapters and it came together as a single book. What's the future of publishing and content creation? Is it, is it going to be open sourced and multiple people uh, technology? I don't know if you want to take it to things like the metaverse and where the content is uh, delivered and how it's used in different places. What, what, what's the future like? Well, this goes back to what we said at the start, where you read information isn't where you need information. So in an example of some software I created, that I think is one of the first steps in this direction but there will certainly be many others to come. I create an app called Brain Bump. And I recognize there are two problems that we had with traditional media. The first is that you typically forget things after you've engaged with them. You read a book, and we're talking business and self-help books. Fiction books, it's different, and there's a whole conversation about that. But right now we're focused on information about trying to achieve some goal, as you put it whether it's doing my taxes or getting better at networking or leading or losing weight or whatever it is, there's some actionable goal. I read a book and then I forget, oh, great tips on losing weight, great tips on gym workouts, great tips on leadership, whatever it is, but I forget as soon as I'm done reading it. That's not helpful. So the app that we created, the Brain Bump app works in two ways. It takes the ideas from these books and you can surface it in one of two ways. The first is just in time. And this goes to that example, as you're about to walk into that conference, you go, oh, I need those networking tips, the human relationship networking. You can pull up the app, you pull up the tips, they're all tagged with networking. And there you go, and there are the tips, and you quickly flip through them two, three minutes before you walk in the room, and you've got that just in time access. The other way you may choose to access information is if you are a manager 
you just got promoted, you're a new manager, and you're thinking, oh, there's so much to do. You're not going to know what you need two minutes before you do it. So there you want to build up foundationally. And so what if even after you finished reading the book or taking the class each day at 9 a.m., right as you start your day, you get a little reminder of one of the things you learned. Just pops up on your phone, you swipe it away, takes two seconds a day, but you see it over and over. And that spaced repetition builds up the memory in your mind. And so what we're doing is we're saying the book wasn't written to fill up pages. The book was written to be helpful to you in certain situations by moving it out of the book into an app that makes the information easily, instantly accessible when and where you need it. We've made that content more useful. And we're going to see more and more applications that take the content, chop it up into little pieces to make it accessible in a particular context. It kind of reminds me about the memory palace when they teach you how to have remembering things and, and having then, because I'm thinking once you fire that connection, that probably if you actually did read the book and you're not cheating, <laughs> it will inspire you to, to bring to your memory other interconnected uh, topics relevant and related to the tip that you just received. Uh, is that something that it does as well from a psychological perspective? It certainly does. If you think about how people have engaged with content in the past, we all grew up taking notes in class. And then we would look at those notes, we'd study them because we literally had to study because there was a test and there is a clear objective that looking at the notes helped us achieve. When we read books as adults, we're reading a business book because we want to learn, but without that forced activity of the reflection and recall, we don't do it. And so we quickly forget the information the challenge has been it has not been accessible. It's not that we couldn't read it. It's not that we couldn't even take notes on it. Many people take notes. I take notes on books I read. But you don't easily access those notes. If you think about it, if I took notes on some networking books and I'm about to walk into that conference room, it's not easy. Yes, I can open my phone. I can go to my Google Drive. I can search around. But tens of seconds or more is a lot of effort. Oh, I've got the ebook, I can search for the term. Again, it's tens of seconds or more. But if we can reduce that friction to mere seconds, to two seconds or less, it is much easier. And we know this in taking cybersecurity, we know that a cybersecurity challenge that takes three seconds, people will do it. If it takes them 30 seconds, they're gonna get frustrated and they will bypass it. It's why people said, oh, you're going to make me change my password. Well, I'm just going to use easy passwords. If it's complicated, people won't do it. So it's making it easy is what lets people engage in that behavior. And that's really the key to media access in the future. It has to be so quick and seamless that it can now be done. And whether it's for that one tip or that linking this tip to other tips, it brings you that access. And that's been the missing element. And I always see the pendulum swing from one way to the other. And when we can get content available, like you just described, uh, great for that just-in-time 
action. I need to do something with it. Um, but I wonder, do we, if we spend all our time there, then <laughs> do we, do we lose out on the, uh, the forest through the trees? Cause we're, we're focused so much on the minutia that, that we forget, well, what's, what's the bigger picture here? And do we run, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Do we run the risk of acting in a certain way because of the uh, intricate details that we've uncovered in our, in our app that it may yeah. not be the right, the right action in bigger picture form? That is an excellent question. And we see this pattern play over and over again. We used to eat three square meals a day. And then something happened about 50, 60 years ago. We invented snacks, that quick food between meals. They weren't eating snacks 500 years ago. They were out doing hard work until it was mealtime. But we have snacks. They're and the eating snacks. Yeah, the snacks <laughs> became easier and easier. And now we have junk food snacks. And I have the option that I can have my three meals. Maybe I'll have a little snack between. Maybe I'll have a cookie between. Or, of course, I could just fill up on cookies and skip the meal. And plenty of people, certainly Americans are known for this, we choose those easy, yummy snacks over the good meal. And I have certainly been guilty of this on occasion. When we think about content consumption, and we see this with social media, it's so easy to go in and, and oh, here's another tweet, and there's an Instagram post, and get this and get that, and I respond to this. And we're doing it at that kind of quick reactionary level and that's different from reading a book for three hours and getting deep in a topic or being in a college classroom and getting some lecture. That's the meal. And I think there's room for meals and for snacks, but we have to be careful with the balance. So to your question, by making things so snackable, we have to be careful that we don't just fill up on the snacks and skip the meal, skip the foundational fundamental way to look at knowledge well it's certainly it's not the same thing i'm like i'm thinking pizza if you eat tomato and then 15 minutes later you eat a mozzarella and then you eat some bread you didn't eat a pizza <laughs> i don't know if it just came this metaphor maybe because i'm italian but anyway and maybe because all i know I'm is we're talking about food that. which is incredible <laughs> exactly uh, i also wanted to I also wanted to make Sean happy because he loves to talk about food. <laughs> Listen, I did, again, this I knew was going to be a long conversation and I'm happy to have you back because there is certain things that I think we can keep developing because I, I keep thinking that we need to start treating these stories, this content that we create as a, as a living creature, meaning before we used to think like the book is done, here's the end. Maybe we'll adjust a few things. Uh, in the next edition, but it's very like a static picture that you get. And I feel like with all the things that we said, with the interaction in the museum, with the make your own story, write, read your own story, write it, um, we become more of a, an active um, protagonist of not just the reader, but it's a, it's a, it's a way that we can consume but also is a different way that we can as you said create like it's not an ended conversation is not forever it's technology goes so fast society catch up with it legal takes forever government <laughs> right okay <laughs> so but 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 we need change 
changes what we're dealing with. And I feel like the way we we consume, we learn, has to also change in a dynamic way. And uh, again, I don't think we can go and point the finger to what happened 100 years ago or 50 years ago or or 1,000 years ago or Gutenberg. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he did pretty good, actually, for the technology he had at the time. So I think to sum it up here is that we need to not get stuck with the past, embrace technology, but also not just being eating snacks, but we need to eat the full pizza to really enjoy it. How about that? Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that, Marco. I think for me, the big takeaway, and maybe it's a very broad view, is just I think we have to be purposeful in what we're doing here. So I love mozzarella and tomatoes and, and uh, bread, and I'll happily eat them individually. I'm still also going to eat a pizza because I love that too. Um, but each in its own way, as you're describing, Mark, you, you need the snacks and the meals. And I mean, I have a gazillion questions in my head still. We don't have time for them. But maybe um, one thing that came up that I didn't want to uh, throw onto this audience uh, was a security playbook, uh, which is also a book. And uh, since you're in the security world, perhaps you'd come back on uh, my show and talk about creating runtime playbooks uh, for handling incidents, because I, I suspect creating those stories and having them available just in time, and but also seeing the forest through the trees at the same time is critical. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in general, uh, how we consume, how we create, how we think, how we snack, how we eat. And uh, again, for me, being purposeful about all that is the, is the thing I'm walking away with here. So thanks, Mark. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, and honestly, the, the, there's the other thing, and I'm going to finish with this. You said that when it comes to fiction, for example, it's a different beast. And of course, I want to hear your version of that, like if there is a different way to consume uh, fiction stories instead of... Just, just jump to the end. Yep. I just jumped <laughs> to the end. <Yeah. laughs> we slay the dragons. End of the story. All right, Mark. Uh, thank you so much. And please come back because I, I really would love to have more conversation and for the people listening again there will be notes on this redefining society episode about with links to the first conversation we had with mark uh maybe we'll have the one with the, the conversation we will have with sean about cybersecurity and uh connection to your app uh your company and all the many things that you do honestly i don't know how to do them all. so thank you very much mark Thank you guys for having me on the show. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues.
If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.